Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 14 of the Make It and Sell It podcast. It's hard to believe that we've been producing this series for more than two and a half months. We've spoken to some fantastic guests who've had a variety of experiences in different sectors, from food and drink to personal care products to artists and artisans. Some are at early stages of their journeys. Some have matured and achieved great market penetration and success. Some sell locally, others online. Some sell largely to other businesses through wholesale, others direct to consumers. Some continue to make and sell their products from home. Others have grown into commercial spaces, started to work with co-packers, or open stores themselves. The feedback from guests and listeners has been tremendous. There seems to be great interest in home-based production, and we've had close to 700 downloads to date. Thank you all for taking your time to listen and support this venture. It's been a lot of fun and educational for me, too. In the very beginning of this series, I explained that most episodes would be interviews with home-based producers. However, I also reserve the right to do special episodes on special topics. This is one such episode, based on a question and concern from many listeners, which is how to get over that initial hump of starting a home-based business. I would therefore like to dedicate the next three episodes to this topic, going into greater details about the nuts and bolts of the startup process. The big disclaimer is that I'm not an attorney, an accountant, a life coach, or business consultant. Instead, I will address startup questions by sharing some personal experiences in starting my own home-based production business. The benefit is that these experiences are fresh in my mind, so hopefully will be relatable for people who are thinking about starting their own businesses. Again, though, please treat these reflections for what they're worth, actual reflections and not legal or business advice. Today's deep dive will be about one crucial step in the startup process, getting the necessary permissions to produce goods from home at least as it relates to laws and regulations in the United States. In the next episode, I will talk about the actual preparations that I've made so far. Finally, the last episode of the miniseries will be about the culmination of this journey, at least initially, with the big reveal, in which I will talk about the initial products that I'm preparing to sell locally, on Etsy, and on my own e-commerce website. I hope you will stick around to hear about this entire exciting adventure. Hi, everyone. This is Corey Hyman, host of the Make It and Sell It podcast. This is a show about entrepreneurs who develop new products and then produce, sell, and distribute these products themselves. This field is wide open and can be a fantastic opportunity for anyone who has the passion, skills, and persistence to succeed. Why do people do it? How do they do it? What can we learn from their experiences? Stay tuned to find out if this career path may be right for you. As I have had conversations with aspiring entrepreneurs about starting their own home-based production businesses, I hear a few common responses. The first is what I would call the deer-in-the-headlights response. This is when people start thinking about all the things that they need to do to get started and then feel so overwhelmed that they decide not to get started at all. This is a bit heartbreaking, especially if they have good ideas. Yes, there is some paperwork involved in getting started, but this is a finite process and has an end. The second common response is the bull in the china shop response. This is the person who is so eager to get started with actual production that she ignores some important steps in the process. This is obviously risky and can cause bigger problems in the long run. Instead, I recommend a third path, or the one that I would call the enthusiastic explorer. 
This is the person who is thorough enough to conduct basic online or book research and reach out to others about their experiences to make sure that they are operating within the necessary legal and regulatory guidelines and with the clarity and safety to produce the products themselves and protect their customers. Building the kind of enthusiasm and energy for the startup process that you will need in the long term for production and sales will go a long way in starting your business off right. When I began thinking about my own home-based production business earlier this year, I started with two big questions. First, how do I want to organize myself? And second, what do I want to produce, at least initially? The first question was important because it was the anchor for everything else I needed to do going forward. This is because the government cares to know what's going on in business around the country. This is the federal government, this is state governments, and this is local governments. They want to know what you're producing, how much you're producing, and whether you're doing it in a way that is safe and is supportive of your local economy. There are issues about taxes, licenses, and permits, and if you have employees, about unemployment issues and workers' compensation. So the question about how you decide to organize yourself is an important one. There are two main ways that you could go forward. One is to operate as a sole proprietor, which doesn't require any registration as a business. However, there are still permits and licenses that are required, but much less paperwork than in establishing a business entity. And it's also streamlined to be a sole proprietor because you can report all of your business activities on your own personal tax forms. However, there are also good reasons to think about starting your own business entity instead of operating as a sole proprietor. The main is to protect yourself and your own assets in case there's a problem with your business so that you can really keep a firewall between the work that you do with the business and yourself. It really is a question of personal preference and your own sense of risk. As somebody who has opened businesses in the past, I felt very comfortable in establishing a new business, and so that's what I decided to do. And of course, after making that decision, there's also the question of what kind of business to establish. For myself, I was very comfortable with the business format called a limited liability company. So that's what I decided to create for this business. And as I organized in the state of Pennsylvania, I also made it a benefits company, which has special expectations about how businesses operate so that there is a public good in addition to a private goal. When one organizes as a limited liability company or an LLC, there are certain requirements at different levels of government. For example, one needs to acquire a federal tax identification number. Registering for an EIN is very easy to do. It's one form, and it just takes a few minutes to complete the paperwork. More in-depth, but not too much more, is establishing the business as an entity at the state level. This is probably the most important part of the process, as it really is each state government that does regulate businesses within its jurisdiction. For myself, within the state of Pennsylvania, I had to establish my Articles of Incorporation, and I also established a fictitious name. Establishing a fictitious name isn't a requirement, at least for LLCs, but it does allow me to identify my business title without having to use the initials LLC at the end of it. All states also have some requirement for a seller's permit, which gives a person the authorization to sell products. In Pennsylvania, that is a sales tax identification number. States also care about whether you are working by yourself or whether you are working with employees. If you do have employees, there are additional requirements for workers' compensation insurance and unemployment insurance. So those are additional steps and additional paperwork as well. For the time being, since I'm the only employee of the company, this was not necessary. 
The last level of government that requires paperwork is at the local level, and this is also very important because local jurisdictions care a lot about the businesses that operate in their communities. For example, there are zoning requirements about what can and can't be done in different parts of the local jurisdiction. For my township, the local ordinances do require that businesses that operate as home occupations receive explicit approval from the township zoning authority. This requirement is particularly high for the area in which I am living, which is a high-density residential district. I know it might sound strange, but acquiring local permission to operate a home-based production business has been one of the most fascinating parts of the process so far. I didn't realize how much work this would be. And how hard I would need to press my case. My big takeaway from the process is that very few people are aware of home-based production businesses. Even though this is allowed under state law, there's still a huge gap in information about them. Those of us who are interested in creating home-based businesses therefore have a special responsibility to explain what we are trying to do. I will explain here. In my situation, local approvals were a two-stage process. The first was to get approval from my homeowners association. I was nervous about this because the association's bylaws explicitly forbid people from using their homes as anything but well homes. My first step was to call the management company to seek their advice about approaching the HOA board. The representative's response was not very optimistic. She said that the board had never approved such a request. I then asked if anyone had ever asked. She had to admit that the answer was no. So I wrote a very nice letter to the board explaining my intentions, my eagerness to generate additional income during the economic slowdown of the coronavirus, and how I pledged to operate my production in a way that would not annoy my neighbors or burden the community. To my surprise and delight, the board approved my request. I inadvertently got to see some of the board's email correspondence about my request too. They recognized me as a pretty good guy and appreciated that I had actually made the request. They said that they had assumed others were also operating businesses, but just kept their work under the radar. The next step was to approach the township with this request. I had built some confidence after my experience with the homeowners association. I assumed that the township was aware of the statewide approval of home-based businesses, and that this would just be a procedural effort. Unfortunately, I was wrong. The township rejected my request. Pointing me to a section of the township code that limited home occupations to the following categories: physician, dentist, barber, beautician, clergyman, lawyer, engineer, surveyor, accountant, architect, teacher, computer programmer, artist, photographer, licensed insurance or real estate agent, seamstress, or similar service occupations and professions. I was devastated. My plans were shut down in an instant. However, in the back of my mind. I had a gnawing sense that this logic was not quite right. Surely, other people operated business out of their homes, other than the ones listed in the township ordinance. What about day traders, telemarketers, authors? What about people who made homemade crafts or jewelry? Were these occupations forbidden too? I did some further investigation and found a completely different section of the local code that gave me the answer. I was not trying to start a quote home occupation. As defined in Section Twenty-Seven, Twelve, Thirty of the Code, instead, I was trying to create a quote no-impact home-based business, as defined in Section Twenty-Seven, One Hundred Five. Of course, specifically, the code states that no-impact home-based businesses shall be permitted as long as the business satisfies the following requirements: compatible with the residential use of the property and surrounding residential uses, 
employ no employees other than family members residing in the dwelling, have no display of sale or retail goods, and no stockpiling of inventory of a substantial nature, have no outside appearance of a business use, including but not limited to parking signs and lights, not use any equipment or process which creates noise, vibration, glare, fumes, odors, or electrical interference, including interference with radio or television reception, not generate any solid waste or sewage discharge in volume or type, which is not normally associated with residential use, be conducted only within the dwelling unit and may not occupy more than 25% of the habitable floor area and not involve any illegal activity. I could absolutely comply with those requirements. Armed with this new information, I scheduled a meeting with the township zoning officer ready for battle. However, I was caught off guard again. In my most respectful voice, I agreed that my request should have been rejected as a home occupation. However, might I qualify instead as a no-impact home-based business? The officer read the section of the code that I reference, said that in his 30-plus years of work, no one had ever come to him with that argument, and said that it had made sense to him. As long as I pledged to be in compliance with this definition, he would sign off on my request. So, the moral of the story is that doing something new can seem confusing to others. They might try to put roadblocks in your way, but if you make a good case and are humble yet persistent, you can break barriers and make great strides toward your dreams. Those were the issues that I addressed to answer my big question number one, how to organize myself and my business. Now, on to question number two, what kinds of products do I want to produce? The reason this is so important is because it has implications about how businesses are allowed to operate. For example, I knew that initially I wanted to produce food and shaving soap. Those are the two categories of products that I would like to start producing over the next six months. Once again, it's helpful to think about requirements at different levels of government. The federal government actually has very few interests in the kinds of products that people produce in their homes as compared to what would be produced in a commercial facility. Yes, they want to know if you're producing ammunition or weapons because that does require certain kinds of regulation. They also care for some reason if you are breeding animals to then sell across state lines. That entails another set of requirements. But to produce food or shaving soap or other home products, as long as a person is being very transparent about the ingredients that go into the home products and labels appropriately, as long as the manufacturer is identified on the label and that there is address information. The federal government doesn't necessarily care whether the products are being made at a commercial facility or somewhere else. It is therefore important that home-based producers look to whatever federal requirements are necessary for their industries at large. So that's what I did. I looked into federal manufacturing requirements for personal care products such as shave soap, as well as food, and found some interesting results. Let's start with shaving soap. With the federal government, the way that you market your shaving soap is important in thinking about how it is then regulated. If, for example, you just talk about your soap as something that is for cleaning purposes, full stop, then a soap product garners very limited federal oversight. If, however, one would like to make claims about a soap that go beyond simple cleaning, it could then require a heightened level of scrutiny. So, for example, if you talk about medicinal purposes such as antibacterial, if you talk about soap as a moisturizing or anti-aging tool, then there are other federal agencies such as the Food and Drug Administration and others that care about hazardous substances that start to take interest. 
But for my purposes, thankfully, given that I'm just trying to promote shaving soap as a tool for lubricating, lathering, and cleaning, there aren't any additional requirements. So for the federal government, all I need to be thinking about is making sure that I have accurate, transparent, and clear labeling. At the local level, the local jurisdiction does want to make sure that as I'm producing a home product such as a shaving soap, that I'm not creating some kind of hazardous waste that could be any kind of a risk for the neighbors and the community. Now, in terms of food production, the lines between federal and state interests are more blurred. The federal government has extensive guidance for food production. The most recent Federal Food and Drug Administration's food code from 2017 is more than 750 pages long. Given this level of detail, it's not necessary for state governments to reinvent the wheel. The State Department of Agriculture in Pennsylvania, for example, has largely adopted the federal FDA code as the basis for state regulation. The difference is that in the food sector, state governments do have more specific regulations for food that is produced from a home. The state of Pennsylvania has its own cottage kitchen requirements called a limited food establishment. And this is about a 15-page application that a person would fill out to be permitted to sell foods produced at home. The reason for this, of course, is that the government believes that there is more risk associated with somebody producing food that could potentially cause harm to somebody else. So there are expectations that food produced in a home is going to be as safe as food produced in any kind of commercial facility or a restaurant. There are lots of questions on the application about what kinds of foods are being produced, what the ingredients are how a person segregates equipment and supplies related to foods that have allergens in them, the appropriate labeling of allergens, even if there aren't major food allergens in the food, is there going to be an opportunity for other kinds of problems that might affect somebody getting sick from the food? For example, while the state of Pennsylvania is supportive of people producing food at home that can sit down on shelves for an extended period of time, the state is less excited about the kinds of foods that require ongoing refrigeration, freezing, or heating to stay fresh. If there's a possibility that foods can spoil by being left out for a period of time, or if there's a possibility that those foods could breed the kinds of bacteria that could get people sick, the state is less inclined to be supportive. So part of the food establishment application is to make sure that the home producer is making the kinds of foods that have the least likelihood of getting people sick, even if being inadvertently left out during the baking, packaging, or distribution process. After the paper application is reviewed and approved at the state level, there's also the expectation that an inspector will come into the home and look around and make sure that your facility is set up in the way that it was identified in the application and that, again, everything is safe, that there's no mold growing, that there are no problems with the equipment or supplies, that there's appropriate segregation between the foods that you use for yourself and the foods that you're producing for others, that there are no children present when one is producing, that there are no animals that are in food production and packaging areas of the home so that, again, there can be as much confidence in the production of food at home as there would be in any other kind of facility. After my application was completed and approved at the state level, I did have an inspector come out to look around and certify that, in fact, the home was safe for production. As strange as a process as that might seem under normal circumstances, it was even stranger in a time of coronavirus. With concerns about possible coronavirus contamination, 
The state has excused inspectors from examining equipment in detail so as not to stir up any possible virus cells in a home. So the inspection became much more of a limited check. It meant that the inspector had fewer things that she was able to review directly, and so it was much more about asking questions, looking around at a more superficial level, but with the expectation that she would be returning over time to ensure that I was operating appropriately. So that was it. Permission granted. The next step was to prepare my home for actual production. That's the discussion for the next episode. To summarize a few main points from this discussion, getting government permissions to start a home production business is important and requires some work but is manageable. Some of it may feel bureaucratic and yet another attempt by the government to take our money and interfere with our lives. However, if you approach the process with an open mind, seek guidance from your state small business development organizations, books, podcasts, YouTube videos, and others who've gone through the process, you can learn a lot about how to protect yourself and your customers, as well as launch your business with success. Some requirements are universal for all new businesses. Others may be specific to your industry and the products that you want to produce. Remember, too, that home-based production is not a common business approach in many places. It may require you to educate others, including government officials, as part of the process. Navigating this initial process successfully, though, is a confidence booster and, in many ways, a test of your passion and your commitment. So don't be daunted. Take a deep breath and take those first few steps on your journey to entrepreneurial success. Thanks for listening today. This has been the Make It and Sell It podcast with Corey Hyman. Please subscribe, let us know what you think, and stay tuned for future episodes.